0: So there's a lot of new, way, a lot of, a lot of different ways uh, to start a new church. I mean, you know, there's hundred, literally hundreds of books uh, that you can consult. Some, some uh, have techniques. You can go to conferences, whole conferences about how to start a new. church. Am I right, Jay? Whole conferences on how to start new churches. A lot of these are like kind of businessy and, and about forming a mission. And we have a lot of few. Co- Fuqua people here, so I don't want to badmouth that. And there are good things, and there are bad things, like everything. But as we were in the process of, of planting Oak Church, and this is our sixth Sunday of Oak Church, even before we, we knew we would be called Oak Church, it felt important for us to do good listening, right? To, to listen to God, to listen to His Word and Scripture, to listen to what this neighborhood and building were telling us about ministry here. So we listened, and our core team, and and Rach and I, uh, we grew inspired. Inspired uh, first by the Holy Spirit, but inspired broadly by the the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament that... um, it's actually known as the fifth gospel, kind of, um, because of, of the good news that it shares and in the way it looks forward and anticipates Christ. Isaiah seemed to be reading our mail. <laughs> it's a prophetic book, and, and it achieves what good prophets achieve. What Abraham Heschel says is a main task of prophetic thinking is to bring the world into divine focus to bring the world into divine focus. The book of Isaiah catalogs words to and about Israel in a time of uncertainty, a time of unfaithfulness and confusion about where the whole thing was headed. It's written around the 6th century B.C. Um, and Israel and Judah, God's people were lost. They were in exile, on the verge of being wiped out by a whole host of oppressors. Assyria being won. The places and people that once so obviously evidenced God's delight, his presence, his prosperity, they're now struggling. And things are changing. Some of it was Israel's own fault. And if you read back through Isaiah, uh, you, you get, what, 39 or so chapters of judgment on a stiff-necked, stubborn people. Some of it was a natural byproduct of sin and her brutal neighbors, and their distance from God. But right when it seems like things are hopeless, right when it seems like Israel is done, right, right when Judah is a stump, right when she loses her imagination that things could even be different, Isaiah speaks comfort, comfort my people. In Isaiah 40, God's rescue is afoot. Judah's Savior is on the way. What we get then in the last third of Isaiah is to my mind, some of the most inspiring pictures of the future. What God's redemption looks like and how that renewal crops up now. Predicated on a a suffering servant in Isaiah 53 whose stripes heal the world's wounds. We then experience an avalanche of joyful transformation. You looked at 55, you get... Free food for all because of God's grace. Trees clapping hands while des- deserts spring up new life into fertility. Then in Isaiah 60, the saints come marching in. Redeemed. Somehow changed, but somehow very much the same. Heaven and earth beginning to re-intersect as they're always meant to. And then in our passage that we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks in small chunks, and we'll read the whole thing every week because we need to hear the whole thing. Our passage, we get at the beginning Christ's mission statement that then pops up in Luke 4 in his jubilee ministry uh, that ushers God's kingdom in on earth, and this is the type of stuff that Oak Church is planted for. So I'm going to invite Meg Hoffman uh, to come up and read Isaiah 61 for us. You, You can read in one of these.
1: to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations Strangers will shepherd your flocks, and foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations.
0: Amen. Thanks. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. These were the words to come from the Messiah, the one who would bring salvation and renewal for Israel. If we read back a few chapters of Prophet speaks for God about this Christ, saying, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then if we read forward in Luke's Gospel, we find Jesus rising out of the waters of the River Jordan where he was baptized, identifying with mankind's need for cleansing and regeneration, for, for death and resurrection. The heavens burst open and the Spirit descends on Him like a dove. And a divine voice says, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. These are Jesus' credentials. Then Jesus begins His public ministry by reciting the very words we just heard. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then Jesus, he's a funny Bible interpreter because, you know, most Bible interpreters, you're supposed to write volumes on how to interpret a passage, right? His only interpretation of this well-known and greatly anticipated passage is, and it's like a microphone drop, right? He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the one. God's people's rescuer the Savior who would both free people from their own sins, their fragmentation, their disorder, their, the longer and longer growing list of the ways that they're running in the wrong direction, away from God, or rather towards His embrace. He'd also free them from the effects of sin, their oppression, the forces that hurt and threaten to destroy them. That long expected servant of God is here. Freedom is at hand. Relief and revolution are afoot. In these words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, we find out two things about Jesus that he's God's son and that he's God's servant. That he's God's son and that he's God's servant. I think there's a, there's a tenderness in being given God's Spirit. Jesus being reunited with the other two members of the Godhead. Jesus simply is. He is beloved. He is part of that graceful, divine dance. He is God's only begotten Son. But Jesus also has something to do. The following Grocery list shows his prophetic and his messianic task. His ministry puts on display what it looks like for God to break in on sinful humanity in the flesh in 3D. What it looks like for Scripture to be fulfilled in their hearing and our hearing. So friends, we, we learn these things about Jesus, but th- th- they also give us this pattern for how we receive God's Spirit, how we interact. Because if we're united with Christ... We share those two things—the benefit and that light burden, that task. We're adopted as sons, as daughters of God. We're called beloved. We're able to please God. And we, you know, I, I have a little one who can't even talk yet, Titus, who is up here with a snotty nose, and I'm starting to understand this a little bit because he can't talk, but if you just look at him the right way he can feel that affection and he kind of beams and he kind of does it in this almost painful grand kind of way but i think that's i think that's what it's all about for us and and learning how to receive god's affection that he lavishly heaps upon us is something that 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 like titus we learn because um we only learn when we're reliant on God in, in, the, in the way he's reliant in a very small shadow way on Rach and I. Maybe, maybe, maybe our love is enough for him. Maybe God's love is enough for us. I, I hope he never grows out of that, right? I, I hope we never grow out of that with God, and I, I think we'll probably spend the rest of our whole lives remembering that and growing back into it being able to receive God's love. So we learn that, that we're, we're loved by God. We're God's children. But we're also God's servants. We're set on mission. We have something to do. We're sent as agents of reconciliation. We're given the Spirit to speak truth, to work justice, to live grace, Our anointing is like Christ's. It's not for our own sake. It's for the sake of others. The Messiah was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Here we see the justice and mercy that lies at God's very heart good news to the poor. And that includes not just the materially impoverished, and it does include those, I don't want to weaken that, but also spiritual bankruptcy. The good news is that things can be, and because of Jesus' death and resurrection, kind of already are in some mysterious way different. When you start zeroing in on this chapter for Oak Church's vision, I love the way God's anointed one's work was both physical and emotional you know it was tangible and it was spiritual it's amazing how as we started like i think generally people tell you when you when you plant a church or something you start very conceptual and then you get very practical you figure out what you want to be about and then you go from there and and we're doing that and we we have some idea and we're discerning that but it's also been amazing here how the very reverses happen. um how by planting a garden, we've, we've kind of been told what we need to be about, and we've been out close to the street enough to receive a neighbor that we didn't know before. By having a party, we've, we're figuring out what we need to be about. This, this tangible and spiritual, this mission of God that, that we take up would include binding up broken hearts, freeing captives, releasing prisoners from darkness, it actually might mean pulling people out and being pulled out of bad situations, not just like head spaces. We, we focus just on this like very conceptual thing. We might have open eyes and ears to sense what people are really saying when they need help. Sometimes uh, we'll realize with this kind of twofold mission that belly hunger is sym- symptomatic of spiritual hunger. Sometimes spiritual de- despair find its root in a desperate home life or a zeroed-out bank account or addictions or things that oppress or enslave. that we'd be challenged to nourish people's souls and their bodies. And I think we, we, we try to do this, and, and we try to get in the habit of doing this on a weekly basis when we move from the Lord's table just downstairs a few steps to those potluck tables. And this is a table made for us, Christ's body and His blood given to us. And then downstairs is a feast of things brought by each of us. You know, things we've made, things that we bring to the table for the sake of each other. So what if Oak Church was a spirit of the Lord church? What if each one of us built something greater than the sum of our parts? A body of many parts. That each one of us would, would know how loved and, and chosen and forgiven by the Father we are in Christ. And we'd also know an, an urgency of, of gospeling, the good news, through the power of the Holy Spirit to people around us, tangibly. That Messiah was, was anointed to do all those things and also to pro- proclaim this is a scripture to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and a day of vengeance of our god so let's be specific here the year of the lord's favor what does that mean it's not just having a good year like this is specifically uh, talking about the year of jubilee from torah if, if you look in leviticus uh, the year of jubilee is the sabbath sabbath 7 times 7 the 50th year An entire year of forgiveness and complete societal, financial, and social upheaval (laughs) for the sake of justice, but also for the sake of flourishing. Leviticus 25 says If you sell land to any of your own people and buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. Uh, You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since Jubilee, and they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, blah, blah, blah. It's like a prorated. And then it says, do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. This Jubilee is servants being freed from their service. Everything prorated and reset. Loans, think, we have students in this room, In this room, think if you had your student loans forgiven, just struck out, whoa. And so on. This is one of those great ideas if you have nothing to lose and everything to gain back. And it's a terrible idea if you're on the top and someone owes you stuff, right? So terrible, in fact, that the whole jubilee year thing never really got off the ground as a jewish holiday It just it's there and don't really do it however it's the entire mode of jesus's ministry it's it's what jesus is about it's a mode that even preceded jesus's birth with the words of his mother mary in that magnificat and she says he's brought down she says is about god He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It's that mode that caused tax collectors to return what they've coerced people for and made a fat living on. It's that mode that didn't overlook the corruption and accumulation of unjust wealth and systematic injustice even in the courts of His own house of worship when He's flipping over tables. It's this mode of of jubilee. Jesus' life was jubilee, the year of the Lord's good favor. The beginning of a break with the way things are for the sake of God's vision of justice and harmony. Jesus' death and resurrection continue this risky, graceful upheaval. Acting prophetically to nurture, to nourish, to evoke, and I'm quoting here, a consciousness and perceptive alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around. So what if Oak Church was a jubilee church? A place and a people with the courage to see a future of justice and wholeness, even and especially a costly one for us, for some of us, for maybe all of us. What if we were a Jubilee church because we laid down our lives for each other? Because Christ laid down His life for us. We laid down our lives for strangers because Christ loved us when we were enemies. What if we had the follow-through to actually follow Jesus? Jesus. To take up our crosses in ordinary ways every day for the sake of those hurting around us? What if we had the courage to leave behind notions of scarcity? Like we always think everything's scarce. For the sake of God's generosity, His abundance, His hospitality making room for us. And then what if our unbelieving neighbors around us looked on us and saw Jubilee happening? A mini-society being pulled into God's future. A different way to live by God's Spirit. What if that happened? And then finally, uh, today's Scripture. That Messiah would comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and oil, of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The Messiah brings about conversion, transformation, transfiguration, exchanging comfort for mourning, beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, and praise instead of despair. This is the language of a party. (laughs) instead of a funeral. And don't get me wrong, the prophet doesn't simply just want us to avoid or talk ourselves out of very real grief. Just take one look at Jeremiah's ministry for that. Take a peek at Lazarus's graveside and find a weeping Christ. No, this isn't an avoidance tactic. It's not burying our feelings. This is... The despair of thinking it's all over when something really bad happens or something makes you very desperate and still clinging to the fact that God will prevail. This is hope. There's a scholar, Walter Brueggemann, he reminds us that that hope is subversive. It calls the present into question. It dares us to look forward to an unknown future. The prophet seeks to Penetrate despair so that new futures can be believed in and embraced by us. That's what the prophet does, and that's what the Messiah does. So I pray that Oak Church will be a profoundly, a profoundly and ordinarily hopeful people. How about that? A profoundly and ordinarily hopeful people. Because hope is never really Ordinary. Right, We don't default to hope. We default to despair. Because we can only imagine what's on our own horizon. Not what's on God's horizon of justice and wholeness and peace. Shalom. And I think ordinary hope, it's something you can practice. It's something you can get better at. By God's grace. And I think here, ordinary hope gets practiced by making something for potluck. And I'm not just pushing a potluck agenda here. No, I, I do love potluck. But it's by making something for potluck and believing that it's going to be enough. That it's going to be part of a feast. I think ordinary hope happens when you, when you plant something in the garden and, and you stand back and you're amazed that it actually popped up. And that eventually we're going to eat from that. That's crazy. That's a minor miracle. I think parents practice ordinary hope when they bring a child into the world right it's a pretty bad place (laughs) i had a professor and he talks he talks about how hopeful this is and i kind of quote him because he says it better than i could he says we're able to have children because our hope is in god who makes it possible to do the absurd thing of having children in a world of such terrible injustice, in a world of such terrible misery, in a, he's very optimistic. In a world that may well be about killing our children, having children is an extraordinary act of faith and hope. But as Christians, we can have a hope in God that urges us to welcome children. When that happens, it's an extraordinary testimony of our faith. So I pray that Oak Church will be a school for each of us to teach and learn from each other ordinary hope in Jesus. That God's Spirit might train our hearts and our our bodies, our minds, and our imaginations to look for God's future already achieved through Christ's life, His death, and His resurrection for us. That our our lives and our world would be transformed, transfigured. And I think... Uh, I'll end with this Uh, I think ordinary hope happens in a lot of different ways I'd love if you think of of something just tell me or tell somebody and and, um, I'm going to invite right now actually Stuart to come up and and Stu's going to share a a testimony of of a kind of healing and and hope uh, of what God's doing in his life through oak church and he shared this uh, to our core team you can come up to, to one of these mics um and, and i think it's it's really important it's really special and it's particularly important to to hear from each other about these so, so thanks Stuart. I think you got a whole presentation. this is amazing
2: one of these um, so um it's actually pretty special to be able to speak today on our our grand opening and to follow um, just a, a excellent message by chris um but um so back uh, this summer, um, sort of had a bit of a calling to uh, get involved, and, um, with, with, and then a few weeks later, a word of a, a church plant, you know, so, um, so it's pretty cool. So I joined on uh, with, with a core group here, and, uh, you know, we did a lot of planning and whatnot. And uh, part of that is uh, we wanted to get to know each other better, so we did some testimonies for our, our core group. And uh, the, the challenge was, think of a song or a, a movie that sort of embodies you, so... I'm embarrassed to say that forrest gump immediately came to mind so okay so there's a fun part of this message a serious part and then there's a take home okay so i'll get to the point um so it's a little embarrassing to say forrest gump came to mind but let's just being in some amazing situations in life and and having some challenges in life you know so um i guess probably the best one to tell is about the um um, and uh, the atlanta olympics so um baseball fans uh you know turner field in atlanta well, it was actually the Olympic Stadium before it was Turner Field, so this is what it looked like, um, and that's the 100. This is a, a grand opening they had of, of this of the Olympic Stadium before the Olympics, so it was just um, all the stars in the world were there. Um, the picture is 100 meters. That's Carl Lewis, Donovan Bailey, Dennis Mitchell. Donovan Bailey ran that same race on the same track a couple of months later to win the Olympics. You know, and, and I, I got to be there and see that. You know, I literally was had worked my way down with the press to take pictures of Donovan Bailey as he crossed the line. So just, you know, these, ha- these happenstances, right? Um, so yeah, we'll finish the fun story, I guess. Uh, so I was a pole vaulter, and my, the biggest, the best pole vaulter in the world of all time is Sergey Bukka. He's broken the world record 20 times, I think. Um, so I was helping work the meet that day, and um, I got to talk to Sergey, and all these big American stars were there. Um, so this is when Sergey jumped, 19 feet, 9 inches, I think. Highest jump ever on American soil. And it, um, so it's phenomenal. And uh, I, I caught the pole there, I shook his hand, he signed his, you know, his marker for me. And uh, it was really phenomenal. And um, so um, just as, a, as an aside, the next slide um, is, is how you don't do it. This is actually me at Northern High School here in Durham, <laughs> back, at, back in the day. Uh, we can move on. Um, <laughs> But uh, so I was at uh, a friend's house about a week later, uh, some guys I uh, did some track stuff with, and they pulled out the, uh, the Sports Illustrated that had just come out. So this is uh, back in the day, 96, Michael Jordan on the cover. Um, and they turned to a page in, in Sports Illustrated, and, uh, and they were lo- we were looking at this picture. This is Sergei warming Up, and if you look behind Sergei on the left, that's my, uh, that's my leg and my right arm. <laughs> so... Um, so we're, you know, so I'm in Sports Illustrated. So, uh, um, so you know, and uh, uh, I was in school at Georgia Tech, so I, I shook Bill Clinton's hand. Um, the Blues Brothers came to can- campus. I saw Hootie and the Blowfish, Lisa Loeb, um, Ziggy Marley. You know, it was just phenomenal, you know. So, so with that... Uh, So with that, some challenges. Um, my, um, my dad, my mom, and my brother. We're all diagnosed with cancer. And let's go to the next slide. Um, so my mom and my brother were totally fine. So my dad, um, we moved back up here and he got to spend four great years with us and his grandkids and um, you know so it's that was August and it was um, the hottest longest August ever 9-11 happened right after that which was a really scary time for me and my kids my family Um, you know so I was really dreading August coming into this this year Um, you know sometimes in life you stop and pause and you know so I our son, um, youngest son, is almost a year. Our older kids are, you know, doing well in life. So it was kind of a summer where, you could slow down and just, you know, take things in, and um, just made me reflect. So I just, my dad's passing in August really hit home, and I was dreading it. This was back in July, you know. So, so getting involved with this was um, a real motivation. It was it was a message of turning negative into a positive. Uh, you know, and it was really motivating, and we got involved, and it was fun, and there's lots of connections. Um, my dad was actually a public defender in downtown Durham and um, really involved with the community um, and in the environment. You know, he's big into love forests and trees and whatnot, and um, so there's a lot of connections coming to downtown Durham, you know, and, um, and, that, and that was really cool. It was really cool. Um, but being human, it wasn't quite enough. Um, I was still, we were in August, and kind of dreading it so um but then it's uh just the lord it's amazing um the last week of july my wife um we had a, a, a cancer scare turned out to be fine but it was a traumatic week i mean just test and waiting and so luckily we heard that friday evening she was in the clear that was august 1st you know so that was awesome i mean it was a tough week but it was really awesome um, and just so grateful for that um so then my older son um literally three days later Thought he had something, and we went to the doctor. Um, It turns out he needed a minor surgery. Um, But it turned into a week in the hospital and like two months of wound healing. Um, You know, so it was a pretty big deal. So anyway, um, you know, just totally pulled my attention away from the other piece I was worried about. And uh, in the end, a a real message of uh, thankfulness, you know, just be grateful for for being healthy every day, you know. You know, you worry about school, you worry about work. Um, But it was just, the Lord couldn't have hit me with a a two by four harder, you know. (laughs) It was like, you know, okay, all right, it's, it's fine to reflect every now and then, but let's move on and just be really grateful. Um, so just to wrap up, um, so it was, this has been pretty amazing. So with preparing for the testimony for the small group, I wasn't real sure what I was going to say, so um, I actually took a run behind the neighborhood that morning and ended up running back to Jordan Lake, where I realized that morning, I used to hike back there with my dad before they filled Jordan Lake, and, um, and it hit me. I guess the whole, this story I just told, the Olympic piece, and then, um, so I've got this box of all my memorabilia from the Olympics, and, um, you know, so this ticket was in there and some of these pictures, um, the Sports Illustrated, and um, I literally opened it up like half an hour before driving down here for a meeting, and this letter is in here, so, you know, the whole theme of trees and growth and Isaiah is pretty common, so this is a, there's actually a tree on the back of this letter, but. Just briefly, this is when my dad passed. Um, On the campus of Union Seminary, one sweltering summer day in the early 60s, I came across Jim lying on his back under our large oak tree. (laughs) Um, Apparently contemplating, um, rethinking attitudes about race and the view of social upheavals taking place in America. Um, So, you know, uh, just, and then to, uh, let's see. So, just touching on a few things, uh, Jim lived, fasted, his life with high moral seriousness, involvement in environmental issues, in the practice of law, and his relationship with his grandchildren. If it can be said of anyone, it can be said of Jim. He loved the Lord as God with all his heart and soul and mind, and his neighbor as himself. Um, and I think that embodies this church. You know, we talk a lot about loving our neighbors as ourselves, loving this community, um, the, the unique opportunity to be planted right here uh, in this church with such a great history. Um, being in the middle of this community, to be able to have a pig picking yesterday, and just everyone to bring their families and kids. Um, it's just some of those blessings, so um, we're really excited about here. And, um, um, you know, the, the take home is, um, you know, Chris mentioned praise instead of despair. Uh, just, just be thankful for everything, you know, every day. Um, and, uh, and I guess that's it. Yeah. Thanks, Chris.